Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that boycotts of Israel are not protected by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Various versions of this law now exist in over 30 states. Judges in Texas, Arizona, Georgia, and Kansas have all unanimously found that these laws are unconstitutional. The ACLU has confirmed that it will take this case to the Supreme Court. They've been doing a good job recently, so very excited to see which one, if not all of them, are Zionists. The European Union has resumed funding of those Palestinian NGOs that the apartheid state accused of being terror organizations. Anytime the occupation accuses somebody else of terrorism, it reminds me that O.J. Simpson once said he's terrified to run into the person who murdered his wife. Did he really? <laughs> he did. And I'm like, what a weird way to say you don't own any mirrors. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and you can call me Mikey Intifada if you think raising awareness for children makes you a terrorist, locking them up and torturing them for years makes you a democracy. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes and an additional one to two podcasts per week, including the Patreon Pod, which is a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. And we recently launched palestine pod book club so check us out on patreon.com slash palestine pod we got a lot of news to get into because we haven't really been news focused for like the last few episodes so we had a run of interesting guests and now we're back to news recaps for this week in u.s news one of the bigger stories this week is the decision of the eighth circuit Court of Appeals, which ruled on June 22nd that boycotts of Israel are not protected by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. This is a disaster. This classic Eighth Circuit. Yeah, classic Eighth Circuit just, you know, going off the rails. What's that lawyer joke? There is a joke about the Eighth Circuit. Yeah, tell it. <laughs> the joke is just that the Eighth Circuit always does the opposite of what all the other circuits do, just to be like zany. So like, so whenever you get a decision out of the Eighth Circuit, that's a bit weird. Everyone's like, oh, it's just the Eighth Circuit being the Eighth Circuit. Like, that is the joke. No, that's the joke. No, the joke yes, was that- like, if you got a decision by the Eighth Circuit and then you went to the Supreme Court, they were like, you win automatically or something like that. Because they know that this, the Eighth Circuit is full of weirdos. Okay, but that's like the same joke, essentially. 
It's 100% not. I'm glad we went down this tangent. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Okay. The ACLU has confirmed that it will take this case to the Supreme Court. Obviously, there's going to be massive consequences for free speech in general in the United States. The notion that boycotts are not a protected form of speech, it's going to have reverberating consequences on all sorts of different issues in the U.S. if this is confirmed by the Supreme Court. And, you know, obviously... They've been doing a good job recently, so very excited to see them weigh in on this and see which one, if not all of them, are Zionists. Usually judges try to like stay away from making political statements, you know, so as not to undermine, put at risk their career in the judiciary because it might like affect because some judges have to run. Others are appointed, so it might affect that. Yeah. Clarence Thomas didn't say a word for years. Yeah. So there you go. There's that. Uh, he was um, just uh, he was just taking the fifth, though, actually, the, mm-hmm. the assault cases. Yeah. So this case, for those that don't know, centers around a law which requires public contractors to sign a, a pledge uh, that they promise not to boycott Israel. If you refuse to sign this pledge, then you are fired from your job or you risk not being renewed if you know, you're on a renewable contract. Various versions of this law now exist in over 30 states. So this is a huge, huge, huge problem. And over the past few years, several Americans have come forward and they have sued their respective states for violating their First Amendment rights with respect to these measures. We've covered one of them previously before on the Palestine pod. It was the case of the speech therapist in Texas. There was also a lawyer in Arizona. Abby Martin as well. Wasn't Abby Martin also in Georgia was another one of them. Yeah. And she won her case. No, but but this is the thing. They all have won. So judges in Texas, Arizona, Georgia, and Kansas have all unanimously found that these laws are unconstitutional. Right. Right. So the, the, the exception was Arkansas, where the plaintiff in this case was publisher of the Arkansas Times. And although he himself was not actually involved in a boycott of Israel, saw this measure as a, a means that could be used to attack Americans rights more broadly on any issues. So he brought the case for that reason. And ended up losing in district court. It was represented by the ACLU. They appealed to the Eighth Circuit and won the case. Then the state of Arkansas requested a rehearing and the Eighth Circuit granted it. And then the ruling came out in the second instance against the plaintiff in that case. So very, very bizarre. I didn't even Is know. It, you got to imagine no, but, that no, the ruling on. came he, out and he, then somebody from like, the fucking JDL or the ADL or one of the DLs, you know what I mean? They're all on the DL. If you know what I'm talking about, one of those organizations like pressed the state government probably, and they had a rehearing with the notion in mind that they should find the other decision. Yeah, I don't know the specifics, but I wouldn't. That sounds like, you know, a very feasible. Uh, it's, of course, not surprising, right, that, that, that something like that could happen and that influence could be yielded in that way. It's like uh, any time no, they do an investigation, yeah. you know? Right. The investigation exactly. finds that uh, it's actually anti-Semitic to boycott. ACLU is going to take this before the Supreme Court. We should all be very, very, very vocal and and uh, expressive of our total disagreement 
and um, with respect to this ruling and everybody should speak out, organize, go to protests. If, if there are any in your area, if there are not, you should organize them because this is really, really going to have far reaching consequences. What is crazy about the court's ruling the second time around is that the judge found that boycott was a mere economic activity without any expressive qualities which is really bizarre because anybody who's engaging in BDS is by definition doing it because they are making a political statement. I mean, you cannot separate the boycott from the statement that is underlying the boycott. You don't boycott for no reason, right? You're boycotting because of something. And that is the thing that you want everybody to know. So, be, so in an effort to create a movement and to and to garner attention on it, you announce a boycott and you ask people to join. Like it, it, there is so much about it that is political and expressive, and it is actually only that in nature. It's it's not. It has nothing to do with economics. I mean, in the sense that the message is not is not. Oh, we're boycotting just because because what? Because we want. This, this company to make less money, but why, right? But for what reason? Join my apolitical boycott. <laughs> right. I'm collecting signatures for nothing. <laughs> there you go. Please sign this petition that endorses neutrality. <laughs> okay, thank you for saying that in two words where, where I struggled to, to, to like identify the issue hey but you did in go like, off on one of your monologues you know and that's like, nice it, it felt like you were warming up like a teapot <laughs> it's like no, started whistling at the end boycott boycott <laughs> boycott is only economic activity what does that even mean anyways terrible decision it means they're separating go. the art from the artist and they still listen to remignition <laughs> <laughs> all right uh anyways if you want to keep reading about this, Julia Basha at Julia Basha on Twitter did a really extensive thread and posted some amazing resources in the thread. And I encourage everybody to check it out. Yeah. And if you don't want to join a protest, go ahead and uh, do what they do in France and just start burning things down. I mean, I wish I could say that that's what they do. They there's they've become so docile here. I know it's like it used to be like a steak knife, you know, and now like the French people are kind of like a butter knife. Here. I argued with the French woman about it. She so, was like, Sacre bleu. you know, what I mean, whatever. Nobody. French people don't say that. Sacre bleu. <laughs> Literally no French person has ever said that in yeah, like the history of. Well, that's a character that Americans perpetuate of French people. Which is funny because there are caricatures that are real. Like French people do walk around in the street carrying bread. That's real. Yeah. Nobody says sacre bleu? No. Nobody's ever said that. What about cordon bleu? (laughs) The European Union has resumed funding of those Palestinian NGOs that the apartheid state accused last year of being terror organizations. Obviously, these accusations were totally baseless. Obviously, it's just that thing that Israel does when they just say that everybody's a terrorist because they don't agree with apartheid. But for whatever reason, the EU was like, oh, oh, let's investigate. You know, there are times when an investigation is necessary, and then there are times when it's totally not necessary. In this case, no investigation was needed, but they carried one out anyways. So the European Commission informed 
Al Haq and the Palestinian Center for Human Rights a few days ago that their 13 month long suspensions were lifted unconditionally and with immediate effect. And they basically said that there was no evidence of any connections to terrorism or terror financing. Yeah. Hey, anytime the occupation accuses somebody else of terrorism, it reminds me that OJ Simpson once said he's terrified to run into the person who murdered his wife. Did he really? <laughs> he did. And I'm like, what a weird way to say you don't own any mirrors, truly. <laughs> you know, that is an excellent, excellent analogy. And because... a great joke structurally. Thank you so much. <laughs> It really is. You are on your game today. So I think it's very important to know that no evidence was provided by the apartheid state to substantiate its claims that these organizations, Al-Haq, the Palestinian Center for Human Rights, and four others were quote-unquote terror organizations. So I think it's clear to us that obviously these Palestinian organizations were not involved in quote-unquote terror financing. It's clear to everybody who's paying attention. Of course, now the European Commission has admitted it themselves and has reversed their decision to withhold funding from these organizations. But I think it's very interesting how all the apartheid state has to do is make a blanket statement accusing Palestinians of quote-unquote terrorism, provide absolutely no evidence, and this is in all the reports on the decision taken by the EU to withhold funding, it has been stated very clearly that the apartheid state provided not a shred of evidence to support their claims. And yet the EU moved very quickly to suspend funding and to carry out an investigation on their own into these allegations. Now, when you contrast this to the behavior of governments in the wake of the murder of Shireen Abu Akla, you will see that the hypocrisy and the double standards are so alarming not only do we have organization after organization after organization after news agency, including some of the most mainstream news organizations in the world, we have the UN, we have all, I mean, you name it, the list of entities which have come out and have said unequivocally, Israel murdered Shireen Abu Akla. We have reconstructed the entire scene from beginning to end. We have time steps. We have eyewitness evidence. We have videos. We have photography. We have the whole thing. And the apartheid state has come out and admitted it themselves. And yet, we cannot get a single measure to be taken, whether by the United States or by the EU or by anyone else in the international community, to hold them accountable for what they admit that they have done. And contrast this to Palestinian human rights organizations that are just doing their best to try to keep Palestinians alive and to try to keep the human rights abuses that the apartheid state commits against them documented. Because that's what they do. They document and they try to provide support. Yeah. So I think that what we got to do is we got to get Defense for Children International some nukes. Because then people start listening to you. Right. And because then, you know, you're not the terrorist, right? Because you have nukes. So that means that you're legit because that means you're a state. That means you are exercising state violence and state violence is legitimate, is legitimized, right? Well, you're cool. It's cool to have nukes if you're towing the U.S. imperialist line. 
if you're Iran and you're trying to develop nukes, well, that's cause for covert activities, actually. Sure. But isn't this insane? Like all Israel has no, it to makes do sense. is say this terror, all makes terror. And everybody stop, stop what you're doing to hold the funding, initiate investigation. They said they killed her and they said that they were not going to do anything about it because it might cause some problems. That was the latest statement that they made after they spent a week lying to the world. And they were like, yeah, actually, it was us. And nothing, no accountability. They ran out of gaslight pretty quickly, huh? Yeah. Not a ton of fuel. I guess they're having to pay U.S. prices. (laughs) There is absolutely no excuse for this glaring hypocrisy and double standards in the way that Palestinians are treated when they are massacred and when their murderers admit to their massacre versus when Palestinians are merely trying to stay alive and the barrage of red tape and investigations and suspicion and uncertainty that they are treated with for for just trying to stay alive. That reminds me of a terrifying story that I heard of a young boy who somebody attempted to sexually assault him. He went to report it to the occupation police and they ended up arresting him. And obviously the perpetrator was not investigated. And so it's just a classic story of like Zionists harm Palestinians, Palestinians try and appeal to some authority figure to get some sort of reprieve. And then what happens is they get persecuted. They get punished for simply existing and reporting the events that happened to them. Yeah. Pretty neat little formula they've got going on over there. Yeah. That story that you mentioned about the Palestinian teen who complained of sexual assault, it was reported by Ion Palestine. The Middle East Eye reported earlier this week that three Israelis were wounded by Palestinian fighters in West Bank Flashpoint. Now, the Middle East Eye generally has good reporting. This article is weird, but the reason why I want to talk about it is because it's actually a version of an article that we see often about members of the apartheid state, which is every once in a while, a news organization will pick up a story about how an Israeli, whether a settler or a soldier or a settler soldier has been injured. And what is always so telling about these stories is that they always use the terminology lightly wounded, right? So to give you an idea. His but a flesh wound. (laughs) They always say that the Israelis were lightly wounded. And there's so many things to be said about this type of reporting. One, why are we reporting on people who have been lightly wounded? Is that even something that we should be reporting on? Two, if we're reporting on Israelis who have been lightly wounded, then why don't we report about all the Palestinians who have been lightly wounded? Mm, Maybe because there are so many that have been massacred that if we want to go back to all those who have been lightly wounded, well, then that's basically everybody in Palestine. Three, what is the point of a story like this? Isn't it, is it just to create the impression that there are two sides and both sides are getting equally injured or equally, you know, the subject of violence? And I think the last point is it's also a great symbol 
of the dehumanization of Palestinians. Because if Palestinian life meant as much as Israeli life, then we would also care to hear about Palestinians who were lightly wounded. But I dare any of you to go online and type Palestinian lightly wounded and try to find an article anywhere telling you about Palestinians who have been quote unquote lightly wounded. You won't find any, but you will find several articles about different incidents at different moments in time published by different news organizations that always refer to an incident where an Israeli has been lightly wounded. It's almost like they are never being wounded. And the moment that they are lightly wounded, they're like, we got one, send it to the press. You know, it's kind of like what, because it doesn't make sense to comment on a colonizer being lightly wounded in a context where they are literally committing genocide against the native population. And they are, as we speak, expelling thousands of Palestinians from their homes. Can you imagine the headline, white South African settler lightly wounded? Like, (laughs) (laughs) like it's a joke. Like you have to laugh at it. So this article. It sounds like a breakfast order. I'll take my eggs lightly wounded, please. (laughs) (laughs) This article. I I just mark my words, history will not look kindly at articles like this. Articles like this are going to appear very bizarre to humans, you know, 50 years from now. They're going to be like, can you believe what they were reporting on? Can you believe the propaganda? Can you like when you look at, you know, when you're studying propaganda in school and you're looking at headlines from like, you know, decades ago, that's what this is going to be. It will sit next to the article that's satire where they're like, Israeli soldier twists his ankle. And and then they're like, wait, wait, this was a real one, though. This was this was article printed by a paper that supposedly cares about Palestine. What the fuck? Yeah, very bizarre. Two Israeli settlers and a senior army commander were lightly wounded on Thursday by Palestinian fighters. Okay, In the occupied West Bank. Hey, we'll get them next time, boys. Speaking of like insane double standards that they apply, there was some coverage of some occupation soldiers who have been taken prisoner and their health is deteriorating. And Naftali Bennett went on a tirade about how, you know, Hamas has no respect for human rights and they are just like, they're torturing people. Meanwhile, Ahmed has been held in occupation prison since he was 13. That's yeah. what, nearly 10 years now? Yeah. The kid barely recognizes his family. So devastating. And they want to talk about human rights? Bro, they built cages all over Palestine and they treat people like cattle. What are they talking about human rights for? They should be talking about what humans are left, like the ones they haven't killed yet. On top of that, there are tons of other cases of Palestinian prisoners who are on hunger strike right now. They are on administrative detention. They haven't had any legal recourse. And so it's like, bro, don't talk about human rights. Don't do that. Speaking of Ahmed Manasara, by the way, you mentioned him, and we actually haven't spoken about him on the on the pod before, so I think we should. Recently reported on June 29th that the apartheid state has denied early release for him, 
and that in response, his lawyers and family have stepped up their campaign to demand his freedom after years of harsh interrogations, abuse, torture, and prolonged stints in solitary confinement, and just overall severe deterioration of his mental health, all of which, by the way, is super illegal under all the laws. I don't even need to say it. It just goes without saying. But I think his story is really emblematic of, you know, just what the apartheid state is, right? 13 years old, arrested, years in solitary confinement, years being tortured. He, for those that don't know the story, in 2015, he was hit by uh, uh, an Israeli car and he was left to bleed on the ground after he and his cousin, according to the Zionists, had attempted to carry out a stabbing attack near a settlement in occupied Jerusalem. His cousin was killed instantly and Ahmed was arrested by uh, the occupation after he suffered internal bleeding and fractures to his skull. There is a very, very disturbing video, and I'm and, and I'm just going to trigger warning what I'm about to say, even because it is honestly, it just shocks you to your core. There is a very, very disturbing video of Ahmed in in this incident with his body completely like contorted and bent like out of shape, sprawled on the ground while an Israeli settler is yelling at him in Hebrew, quote, die, you son of a whore, die, while he's bleeding out onto the ground and in need of desperate medical assistance. This video obviously spread very quickly, went viral, was, you know, was spoken about for quite some time. And it was at the time a very high profile case. But ever since then, Ahmed has been held by the apartheid state for absolutely no reason. He has just been held year after year after year. His mental health state has deteriorated severely. And it's gotten to the point where he is a shell of a human being that continues to be held by the apartheid state with no end in sight. Um, Amnesty International has reported that he has been diagnosed with psychotic delusions. He is severely depressed, they report, with suicidal thoughts. Um, and his entire childhood was stolen from him by the apartheid state. Um, his entire life was ruined. Um, and it continues to be. And so so is, is that of all of those that, that love him and know him. And and yet the nightmare continues and the apartheid state is still allowed to keep him and hold him and torture him. And it just, it's one of those things where it's like, why is this allowed to happen to one person for so long? The world knows. Why can't anybody just call them up and say, yeah, that, that boy that you arrested, the one that the settler was shouting at to die, you know, maybe you should just let him go home. Like it's kind of, you know, just let him go home. Like, Yeah, it's a very tough one. Especially because at the same time, they're calling people terrorists, right? The occupation, which is holding this boy for the majority of his life now, torturing him every single day, and then also murdering people outside of the prisons where he's being tortured, is levying accusations of terrorism against human rights organizations. And then... The EU and all of the mechanisms of government 
hear and heed those calls immediately, but then do absolutely nothing. They're dragging their feet when it comes to any type of accountability for the occupation for anything at all. It's amazing how it's like a one-way street, basically. Anything the occupation says goes, and anything against the occupation, no matter how much evidence there is to support it, that, well, that, oh, those that's conjecture. It doesn't go anywhere. The courts found that he did not participate in any stabbings. Of course. But despite this, he was convicted. He was convicted of attempted murder in 2016 and sentenced to 12 years in prison, becoming the youngest Palestinian to be sentenced by the Israeli, quote-unquote, civil court. What was he then convicted his, of? I don't know. He so was convicted. It was a conviction of attempted murder, even though the courts found that he did not participate in the stabbings. Wild. In 2017, his sentence was reduced from 12 years to 9.5. And I just want to to add one of the most absurd things in the the article uh, prepared by um, Mariam Barhouti. She talks about how his lawyers reported that he was interrogated while under anesthesia when he was neither fully aware nor in the presence of guardians. I mean, obviously, Israel always in, interrogates Palestinian children alone, denying them sleep, food, water, lawyers. I mean, that's just par for the course. They do that all the time. It's, it's almost not shocking anymore, even though it's like a grave violation of like, you know, your due process rights. Okay, fine. But this, I've never seen this before. They, re, they interrogated him while he was under anesthesia? He yeah. was asleep? He was unconscious? What? What? I mean, they are finding new ways to outdo themselves. That reminds me of when the CIA used to drug people and interrogate them because they were like testing acid's ability to be used as like a truth serum. And so it's pretty common for governments to induce people with drugs and then like treat them badly and see how that see how they react. They do like they do human experiments. They do science experiments on people um, just like the Nazis did, you know, just like the Nazis. It's crazy how we always come back to that pretty much in every episode, just like the Nazis. And just to close on this, in the months after his trial, his case was used by right wing Zionists to push for and eventually pass what it was what is known as the youth law. You know, when I say youth law, what does that make you think of? Like a like a like a nifty law that like preserves the rights of the youths, right? Well, in apartheid Israel, youth law means that the apartheid state can imprison minors as young as 12 years old when convicted of terror-related crimes. You see, in general, jailing children is not allowed anywhere in the world. And Israel itself has ratified the Convention on the Rights of the Child and other instruments of international law, which basically say that, yeah, you can't really jail children or torture them or any of the stuff that they've done with him. And they were like, we hear you, but (laughs) not only have they done all of that, but they have also doubled down and passed a law at the national level, which directly contradicts their obligations under international law to not jail and torture and kidnap and interrogate children without lawyers and parents and all this stuff. It's, it's just Israel being Israel. What what can you say? The youth law is a law about how you can jail kids as young as 12 years old. There you go. Youth law. 
anywhere else in the world, a youth law would be stopping them from working in the mines. For example, you know, the youth law is no more, no more, no more child labor. But in Israel, it's we can arrest you if you're 12. Yeah. In the youth law, in the occupation, it means you actually belong to Jeffrey Epstein. (laughs) (laughs) This week in Democratic fuck ups. You're going to love this one, Michael, in case you missed it. Nancy Pelosi stood on a podium and recited a poem by a Zionist poet who romanticized an illegal Israeli settlement that sits atop an ethnically cleansed Palestinian village. And in this poem that she recited, which is really weird that she was even doing that, doesn't seem like it's part of the job description. The poem is entitled, I Have No Other Land, which is also really bizarre because it's like, do you ever like tell a lie and then go out of your way to like justify, you know, and give too much detail? And then it's like obvious that it's a lie. That's what this is like titling it. I have no other land. It's like, well, you do because you came from somewhere else and you literally have another passport. (laughs) You literally do. Like You could have said you could have written a poem called this land is awesome or like my land is great. No, but you wrote a poem called I have no other land. Like, you you see what I mean? Like, it's a little different on the nose. (laughs) Yeah. Bizarre. And I hate the way that she prefaced it, too. She was like, he's Israeli. He's an Israeli poet. And I actually met his wife when I was over there writing them checks. Yeah, it's... um... I like to hand deliver the checks. And also, I bring them some ice cream from my freezer. (laughs) It is. It stays cold because I'm cold-blooded. As long as I'm (laughs) touching it, I'm an ice queen. It stays cold. Jewish voice for peace commented that it is absurd yet fitting that Pelosi reads Israeli poetry expressing love for the settler colonial nation despite the violence inherent to it. It is weird to me because she recited this poem within the context of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I don't see the connection between a Zionist saying I have no other land and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Somebody explain it to me, maybe in the comments. But Allow I, I me really... to share this riddle <laughs> by Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you that's level two for the, Dem, for the Zionist Democrats. Allow me to riddle. take a knee and tell you about Pol Pot. <laughs> <laughs> Riddles, I love that. That's so good. <laughs> that's like just, that's just, curb your enthusiasm at this point that is just you know what is that (laughs) oh my god Loki tweeted since 1989 pro-israel groups have contributed at least 110 million dollars to democratic members of congress and candidates this is almost double the amount given to republican equivalents by the same organizations so now you know why she's reading israeli poetry instead of doing her fucking job Well, her job is actually to read Israeli poetry, so (laughs) she's doing her job, uh, just not the one we hoped she would do. This is hilarious. This is not the first time that Nancy Pelosi has recited this poem. She also recited- It's her go-to. 
<laughs> it's a classic. Hold on. She also recited it in January 2021 in an effort to persuade Republicans to vote in favor of the impeachment of President Donald Trump. Yes, she also recited it on January 6th. Oh at God. the Capitol steps. Wait, this is so good. This article, by the way, is from the Jerusalem Post, and it's fucking hilarious. It, it continues. Then and now, Pelosi has received criticism from the general public for reciting a poem instead of doing something of more worth. <laughs> I love this. Damn, even the Jerusalem Post is dragging <laughs> Pelosi. Yes. Many Twitter users thought that Pelosi's decision to read this poem was symptomatic of liberal feminism. I love it. Man, even the Jerusalem Post is like, what the fuck? That's crazy. When you're that... too Zionist for the Jerusalem Post. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, hi- highly Zionist establishment, by the way, in case anybody was wondering. They are known for moving the Jerusalem goalposts. <laughs> in good news, coming out of colonial Canada... <laughs> The Ontario Federation of Labor has passed a motion declaring their opposition to the dangerous IHRA definition of anti-Semitism and endorsing an embargo against arms trade with the occupation of Palestine. The OFL represents over a million Ontario workers from 54 unions. Independent Jewish voices congratulate the OFL and their members on taking a strong stance in support of Palestinian liberation and against the weaponization of anti-Semitism accusations. We love to see that because, as we know, the IHRA is some bullshit and it is a part of a larger Zionist effort to criminalize Palestinian human rights activism. So shout out, shout out to the anti-Zionist Jewish community in KKK Canada, they are doing the best that they can. Also breaking news that literally I just got an email alert for. Apparently Palestinians are going to hand over the bullet that murdered Shireen Abu Akhla to the U.S. Why? Because they're fucking idiots. Because the PA has no sense. Hey, we're not going to give the bullet to the people who shot it. We'll just give the bullet to the people who gave the people who shot it the bullets. <laughs> Literally, Michael. I. Well, they're returning it to the U.S. and they're like, this is yours, right? Michael, Michael. You sent Michael. this here? <laughs> Michael. Literally, that is the quote from the PA. Nah, shut up. For real? Wallahi, wallahi. That is the quote. Uh, I swear to God. Listen to this. Quote, Bro, it's they're too quote, hard to even satirize anymore because you just predicted what they said, guys. This is not planned. I literally, Michael has not seen the article yet. Quote, I don't even read. <laughs> Michael is illiterate. <laughs> okay, Palestinians to hand over a bullet that killed journalist Shireen Abakla to the U.S. The quote is, "We will not hand over the bullet to Israel, but we agreed that the Americans will check it." End quote. Palestinian Attorney General Akram Al-Khatib told Haaretz. Damn, bro. That's tough. It's totally unnecessary. Everybody knows they did it. They said they did it. Why is this? Why are we participating in these sham procedures? Have some respect for yourself. Seriously. That is a message to the PA and anybody who participated in this decision to turn over this bullet to the fucking US. Yeah, and I know the PA is listening to our podcast, so fucking... You better listen to her. 
<laughs> PA. A uh, boss. Hey. I know hey. you I know you listen to the one with Diana Boot too. <laughs> you little bitch ass. <laughs> Al Jazeera is going harder for Shireen Abu Akla than the PA is. The PA is like, yeah, we're good with the cover-up. Sounds good. Whereas Al Jazeera is legitimately lobbying to get a full investigation from the UN. Yeah, but the UN also said that Israel murdered her, didn't they? Oh, they know. Yeah, yeah. They're just trying to take it up in front of the UN, whereas like... Yeah, 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 yeah. But the the UN said so already. They said it June 24th. The the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights said so. So yeah, at at the UN Human Rights Office, they concluded their independent investigation and they said that they killed her. Yeah. So another report that I noticed was that Israel is keeping the U.S. out of the loop on alleged covert attacks in Iran. Sources tell CNN that U.S. not informed about the efforts against the nuclear program in Iran or the assassination of IRGC Colonel Koday. A report from CNN which cites multiple sources, appears to crack the veneer of close communication and cooperation between the occupation and the United States regarding efforts against Iran's nuclear program and may underline U.S. concerns surrounding the occupation's more aggressive campaign, which has been blamed for a number of high-profile assassinations. According to sources, the Biden administration has generally refrained from interfering in the alleged targeted assassinations and sabotage activities. The occupation does not let the U.S. know about actions ahead of time and rarely acknowledges them afterward in closed-door conversations. The network cited the U.S. official who said that Israel was behind the assassination of Iranian Revolutionary Guard Colonel Hassan Sayyad Koday last month. CNN said it spoke to a U.S. official and other U.S. sources privy to U.S. intelligence, but did not specify whether they were American, Israeli, or from somewhere else. Earlier Tuesday, the state-run IRNA news agency quoted the prosecutor of Iran's southeastern Sistan and Baluchistan province as alleging that three people arrested in April on suspicion of working with Israel's Mossad intelligence agency wanted to kill Iranian nuclear scientists. So it's interesting that this article describes like a close communication between Israel and the United States, between the occupation and the U.S. colonial government. Because that's actually not the case. And if you listen to our own intelligence agencies, the CIA recognizes the occupation as one of the more pervasive threats, both online and in person, when it comes to spying and sabotage. And there's also the agreement called the Five Eyes, which is like all of the major, you know, Western imperial countries that share technology. And it also includes like Australia. And Israel is not a part of that one because everybody knows that they're not trustworthy. We see instances of the occupation infiltrating governments, organizations, you know, 
institutions, whether they be like corporate or any type of industry, they have agents who are infiltrating. And that's literally all over the world, whether it's the Middle East, whether it's Latin America, whether it's, you know, Turtle Island, everywhere. They are everywhere. And that's kind of what they do. Like the whole ideology of being Israeli is sort of like anybody could be a spy. And they love that. They love the idea that they are all sort of connected to this network of shadowy like figures. But then if you say anything like, you know, like that, they're like, that's anti-Semitism. And it's like, no, you literally work for Mossad and you're bragging about it. What are you talking about? Like, it's not anti-Semitism to say you're a spy when you told me that you work for the spy unit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You told me you work for <laughs> unit 8200. You told me your friends are spies. It's not out of line for me to be like, hey, you're a spy. 100%. That is not blood libel. I hate to do it, but back to the Nazis. You know what I mean? <laughs> back to the Nazis where the SS had their eyes everywhere, right? The idea was that there weren't actually that many SS officers, but that anybody could be an informant. Anybody, your neighbor, right? And it's like here, they're openly informing. <laughs> they're collaborating with the government to kick people out of their house, to murder people, to scare Jewish anti-Zionists to, you know, just constantly steal more and more Palestinian land and displace more Palestinian people. It's not even like anybody could be. They are. They're conscripted. Yeah, that's a good point. And then the last story that I wanted to cover comes from the Ukraine embassy that blasted the occupation for withholding treatment from its troops. So the Ukraine embassy launched a unusual campaign, according to Ynet News, that takes the Israeli government to task for what it calls, quote, drawn out delay in the provision of medical treatment to Ukrainian soldiers who lost limbs during the conflict with Russia. As part of the funded campaign, the mission shared on its social media an image of a 19-year-old Ukrainian soldier named Dalil, who had lost both of his legs in a Russian assault and requires urgent prosthetic transplant. The Israeli government is unwilling to treat him only because he is Ukrainian, the ad reads in Hebrew in a bold red text with the official logo of the Ukrainian embassy emblazoned on the bottom left corner. The image was accompanied by a caption reading, many Ukrainians lost limbs in Russian attacks. Israel is an international powerhouse in the field of prosthetics. We expect the Israeli government to do the right moral thing and help Dalil and many other Ukrainians walk again. There is no justification for the drawn out delay of aid in this humanitarian field. Occupation officials in occupied Jerusalem expressed their outrage at the campaign, which they say deviates from diplomatic etiquette, according to which a foreign diplomatic mission does not criticize the government of the host country. Oh. Quote, this approach is unacceptable. There is a way to convey requests and it is untoward for a foreign ambassador to abase the country in which he is no more than a guest. The occupation official said, crazy, because you're also a guest there, my boy. This is not the first time Jerusalem and Kiev have run afoul of each other over the medical care of Ukrainian soldiers in recent months. Can you believe that the occupation is dragging its feet when it comes to replacing other people's limbs? 
they literally made like thousands of people in Gaza amputees. So if they're an expert in prosthetics, is it because they're an expert in making people amputees? Like, I don't... I don't like, actually think that... they're an expert in prosthetics. They're an expert <laughs> like, in blowing people's legs off, for sure. Like, yeah, like, where does that come from? Because Their strong suit is landmines. There's a literal amputee crisis in Gaza because during the Great March of Return, the Israeli snipers would routinely fire on Palestinians' legs and their they would have to be amputated. And so you have Palestinians that have been amputated once or twice. Palestinians even have a soccer uh, team in Gaza that is made of all amputees that have been attacked by Israel and had to have their legs amputated. And they actually target soccer players. There was that kid who yeah. had like a bright future as a soccer player, and then they shot him in the leg because they knew who he was. It's common practice to shoot limbs. So the policy was actually called shoot to wound. So they're, yeah. the point is they're not trying to kill everybody. They just want to dis, they just want to disfigure. Yeah. But they also want to kill others. Oh, I mean, they're killing. Nobody's nobody is accusing them of not killing people. Right. right? That is that is where they lead. I would say that's where they are. A leader yes. in the world is murdering innocent people. Number one on the list, maybe. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. at least they got to make the top five, at least. Yeah. Dead um, or alive. Mention, yeah. <laughs> Folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Check us out on our website, www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And Find us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. Folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Doo -doo.